Uh, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to um, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And I want you to know that uh, I, uh, about six months ago, phoned Tunis and asked him if he would do a family day because we were going to be preaching on the family this morning. And so as we're preaching on family, they're doing family day out in Qualicum. Um, no, I didn't do that, but it's coincidental that, uh, there you go, Tunis, it's, it's coincidental that we are speaking about families the same day that uh, we are celebrating families out in our, our community. Ephesians chapter 6, as we continue to work our way through um, uh, the book of Ephesians, and as I have said, uh, we will take a break again at the end of June uh, for the summer and then come back and finish the rest of chapter 6 uh, uh, in, in the fall. But if you have your Bibles, chapter 6, verses 1, uh, basically 1 to 3 this morning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. So, Father, we now come before you and we continue to look at the practical application of the Word of God um, in our lives. And we have spent three weeks looking at how the grace of God transforms our marriages and what a Christian marriage looks like. And now we're going to spend a couple weeks, Father, with your help looking at what a Christian home looks like. Would you help us, Lord, I pray? Would you make your words, um, um, give them a place of prominence in our thinking and in our hearts? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the things that I wrestle with always teaching uh, when it comes to the home is that uh, to get as little of myself in it and as much of the Word of God Because in the end of the day, every home is unique. Just as every marriage is unique, every home is unique. Uh, But there are certain principles that uh, that do apply. And I I would maybe say this as a as a as a throwout for later on Um, in the summer in our summer teaching series. One of the classes that we're going to teach for seven or eight or nine weeks is um, on on Christian parenting. And so you can keep um, keep that in your minds. Uh, It might be something that you want to come to in the summer. Um, but uh, the Word of God does have a lot to say about parents, just as it does to say about marriages. And as we uh, looked at marriage and realized that the world tries to squeeze us into its mold as husbands and wives, the same thing happens with children and with families and with our homes, that the world tries to squeeze our families and our, children's, uh, our children into a particular mold. And what we do find that often the teaching of Scripture does conflict somewhat or at least give a different perspective on what it means to raise children than we find in a lot of books on parenting out in the world. Uh, Paul is writing to uh, these Christians uh, at Ephesus and he's been writing a number of things and I wonder if they might have been just a little bit frustrated with the scant amount of information that he gave about parenting. After all, parenting is a, is a big task. It's a, it's a lifelong, lifelong task in many regards. And yet he seems to squeeze a lot of information into only a very few short verses. And we wonder, maybe they were thinking, well, how is that going to help? I need a little bit more from you, Paul. Like, give me some do's and don'ts. Give me some, some, some stuff that I can sink my teeth into as a parent so that I can establish my home in a little bit of a different way. Paul does give limited advice, particularly in these verses, but uh, in the rest of Ephesians, there's lots of advice. And as we go farther abroad uh, into the rest of the New Testament and even into the Old Testament, we find further advice about what it means to parent Christianly. 
But I think it starts with just the, the fact that a lot of what the book of Ephesians is about is responding to the grace of God initially. And so uh, it, it's, it's not necessarily about the specifics of parenting as much as it's about the specifics of responding to God's grace in your life and then walking in a way that pleases God. And out of that, our parenting flows. I was looking at this text and thought, well, there's, there's at least four things that, that, that stand out to me uh, that help me understand parenting. And certainly these are some of the building blocks that Kathy and I used in our own home uh, to, to raise our children. And so I've just listed four building blocks, and I hope you can follow along and, and they make sense to you this morning. The first building block is simply this, that parenting starts with cultivating a relationship of, with God through Jesus Christ. That the first place to begin as a parent is for yourself to, con- to, to, to cultivate a personal relationship with God. One of the things that I have often reminded myself of is you cannot pour into the heart and life of your children what you have not first tried, tested, and proven yourself. If you want to parent well, you have to parent out of your growing relationship with God. One of the things that strikes me in the book of Ephesians is how many times Paul references God as Father. And I think that's not by accident. I think that's to help us understand something of the way God the Father is towards us as His children is a model through which we are to respond to our own children as mothers and fathers. So it begins with cultivating a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. One of the um, Old Testament scriptures which is still very important for Orthodox Jews is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. The great Shammai phrase. And in fact, Orthodox Jews will quote this passage at least two times a day, uh, and if not more than that. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, we have these words um, written. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You might notice in there that there's a progression of first the personal relationship with the commandments of God and God that the parents are to have, then the relationship with which they are to have with their children, and then the context of their home that they are to cultivate. And I just want to take a few minutes, though, and remind us that as parents, we have first, our first priority is to cultivate our own personal relationship with God. We are to understand that we are first and foremost to walk in a manner worthy of the God that has called us. He tells us there that we are to have a comprehensive love for God. Do you notice what he says? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. We might even want to say that that last word is all your muchness. It's, a, it's his way of saying that everything that's not included in loving God with all your heart and with all your soul, everything else also, we are to love God comprehensively and completely. As a parent and as an individual who is walking with God, you can have no other loves. 
There is no room for any other priorities in your life. That little word all that is repeated three times demonstrates to us that there is no place for other loves. It's not that you can love God with 60% of your life, love your job with 20% of your life, and then love your kids with the other 20% of your life, or any other kind of mix that you want to add in there. God calls us to first and foremost give our everything to Him. It's not just a one-time consideration either. He says the ways and the words of God are to be on your hearts continually. They are to shape what you think about. They are to shape what you meditate on. They are to shape the things that you memorize. In other words, what, what Moses is writing to these people is he's saying, as parents, as adults, let God fill you. Let his word shape you. Let it mold you. Let it make you. Have all these words be upon your heart. And that be upon your heart is an idiom, which means basically store them in your heart. Memorize them. Meditate on them. Make them your constant and conscious reflection. The word of God is to inform our minds. It's to inform our thinking. It's to influence our judgments. It's to direct our wills. They are to have a personal impact on our lives. In other words, first and foremost, God's word is to have an abiding presence in the forefront of our minds. Biblical parenting begins with a vital personal relationship with God. Parenting in the Lord flows out of one's relationship with the Lord. And it's only after you have cultivated a relationship with God that Moses then says, and teach these things to your children. One of the things that I found about parenting is that so often the things that God was teaching me was the things that I needed to teach my children. One of the things that I found so often in my parenting is that my kids were mirrors of me. Their tone of voice was my tone of voice. The way they treated my wife was the way I treated my wife. The way they talked to their siblings was the way that I talked to other adults. They mirrored my life. And so as I was growing, as I was being sanctified, as I was being changed, it was out of that and out of the very same things that my kids were going through that I could teach my children. And so parents, the place to begin parenting is by your own relationship with God. As I said, you cannot pour into the lives of your children what you have not first tried, tested, and proven true for yourself. The second building block to a, 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 a good family and a good parenting relationship is, to prior, is the priority and security and stability of your own marriage. You might say, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, I think this has everything to do with parenting. Your marriage, parents, is to be the priority relationship. And we've just spent three weeks on what a Christian marriage looks like, and so I'm not going to rehash and rehearse all of that. But what I am saying is that a good parenting foundation grows out of a strong, stable marriage. This does not mean, though, that children cannot be raised well by single parents when the providence of God has placed one in sole charge of children. But this is not the regular pattern of Scripture. As we look at Scripture, 
we realize that it didn't first come children and then comes marriage. No. We find first comes marriage. The priority relationship is the marriage relationship. The marriage was established before children were born, and it will still be there long after the children are gone. Kathy's mom used to have a, a, a saying, and it's one that Kathy has used on me a couple of times. And um, I think I've got it right, Kathy. You will have to live with me a lot longer than you'll have to live with them. Is that sort of how it goes? Yes, she said it to your dad. Your dad would say it to your mom. Thank you. Um, but Kathy would say it to me. Um, um, but, the, but the point being that children cannot become your priority. They cannot consume you. That the priority relationship is the marriage relationship. And you cultivate your marriage before and during the raising of your children. The strength of your marriage is as important to your children after they leave home as it is while they are in the home. And it's tragic to me sometimes that, that, that adults have the view that, well, we'll just hold this marriage together until the children are gone and then it won't matter to them if we break up. That is patently false. That a breakup in a marriage has just as great an impact on children who are grown as it does as children who are being raised in the home. And so we need to cultivate the strength of our marriage relationship. One of the things that Kathy and I did from very early on, I think it was eight days Andrew was born. After eight days, we determined that once a week we would get a babysitter. Sometimes it would be a friend. Sometimes it would be a swap with somebody else. But once a week, we went out for at least an hour, an hour and a half. We went for a walk. We went for coffee. Sometimes, maybe once a year, we went for dinner and a movie. Well, dinner. Baptists don't go to movies, right? Um, We'll scratch that one off the tape. But we would cultivate our relationship because children have a way of sucking the life out of your relationship. And, and it's, it just happens. And so as parents, you need to continue to maintain the love that you have with your husband or with your wife. It's no accident to me that the advice and the encouragement about parenting follows what Paul says about the marriage relationship. That it's one way of defining the relational um, priority. And so usually, not always, but Most often, healthy homes are characterized by healthy marriages. And one of the things that I have often realized and observed and actually heard as I've chatted with older children and seen in younger children is that the security of children is bound up in their comprehension of the security of the relationship with their mother and their father. That if mother and father are always at odds, if mother and father don't seem to agree, if mother and father are distant, kids sense that. It's like they have this intuition inside of them and sometimes they act out or they misbehave because they're just not sure how to deal with that insecurity. And so parents, one of the best things you can do to help kids, your kids cultivate an internal security is cultivate the strength of your marriage with your husband or with your wife. One thing I think that we need to know is children do not complete a marriage. Children do not complete a marriage. Children add 
to a marriage. Children add to a home. They do not complete a marriage. But should God give you children, it is important to remember that God never intended that children become the center of your home. They are a welcome addition to the home, but they are never to be the center of the home. Husbands, your wife needs to remain the most important object of your affections. And wives, your husbands need to remain the most important object of your affections. So that's the second building block. The first building block is for you personally to cultivate a living, dynamic, growing relationship with God. Secondly, as a, as a married couple, you need to cultivate and nurture and build and establish your own relationship with your spouse. The third thing that I see here is that he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And that is to establish your home on the word and in the gospel. That is one of the most important things that we can do as parents is to create a culture of parenting that is in the Lord. Now we obviously that can't mean right away that children are to obey as they obey God because initially children don't obey God. So initially, it must mean that as parents, we are to cultivate a Christian context in our home. That our homes need to be a place that are, that, that are founded and established on the teaching and instruction and explaining of Scripture to our children. Why? Any number of reasons, but at least these ones. And in no particular order. Because soon, your children will face the pressure of the world and its attempt to squeeze them into its mold. You see that with kids two and three years old in toy stores. They want the toys that they've watched on TV. They want the clothes that they see Hannah Montana wearing. I don't know who it is today. I'm so beyond that. But, but, but you, you, your kids are already being shaped at two and three years old by the things that they see and the things that they hear. And so you need to cultivate an environment at which the Word of God is at work, shaping their hearts and their minds and their choices. I think another reason why we have to do that, and I know not everyone necessarily accepts this, but I do. Your children are not born neutral. Children are born with a natural bent to sin. Children are born with a sinful nature. They don't need to be taught to be disobedient. They need to be taught to be obedient. And sooner or later, they need to come to understand that God has designed that life works best when they learn to be obedient to their parents. When they learn that 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 is God's intentional intention for them. And it's important to understand again the context of Ephesians where he's talking about the fact that we need to be those who uh, walk in wisdom and that's characterized by being filled with the Spirit and an outflow of that is, being, is learning to submit to authority. And so how do we create a context in our homes? Well, the first thing is, is, is quite easy. You go back to, to Deuteronomy and it says, you shall teach these things diligently to your children. It's not really much more difficult than that. 
that we are to take the Word of God, we are to take the things of God, we are to take the principles of God, and we are to teach them, explain them, instruct them, talk about them diligently to our children. When? When you sit in your house. Could be watching TV. Could be playing with the dog. Could be jumping on the trampoline. When you walk by the way. When you drive them to school. When you pick them up. When you go for a hike. When you go out in the boat. When you go on a holiday. The Word of God should be part of the conversation that you have with your children wherever you go. When you lie down. That is such a beautiful time with kids, is it not? Particularly younger kids. Um, but but I, I understand that sometimes kids, as they get older, still, still like this. But the, the instruction that you have with your kids at nighttime, as you lie on the bed beside them, you talk about the day, you rehearse the events of the day, and that's a beautiful opportunity to teach your children the things of God. When you rise up in the morning, the first thing that you speak about, the first thing that you talk about. In other words, the Word of God is to form the atmosphere of your home. It's like water is to a fish. It's like air is to us as human beings. The Word of God is the culture and the context with which we teach our kids. John MacArthur wrote, what what parents must do is to pour the Word of God into their children so that it informs their conscience and it continually talks to them. For the Word of God is living and powerful, a sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And if the child's heart is stoked with Scripture, the child's own conscience will often rebuke wrong attitudes. I love that word, stoked. It's not the word I don't think that, that um, snowboarders and all those people use when they say they're stoked. I think what John MacArthur was referring to is when you stoke a fireplace. Something that I've been doing this last week as it's been cold. But, but what he's talking about is, is that as the, as the fires are burning in your kid, keep stoking it with the word of God. Keep instructing them. Keep teaching them. Keep giving them a scripture to understand or to think about. And he goes on, MacArthur, and he says, The conscience is a God-given warning system. You know, sometimes we fight our conscience, don't we? We want it to go away. Don't do that. Your conscience is a God-given warning system. And he goes on, it's like a buzzer or a red light that signals when something is wrong. God graciously equips every child with a certain sense of right and wrong. And we fuel that and we strengthen that and we build on that when we pour into the lives of our children the Word of God. Second Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you have learned it, and listen to this, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise to salvation through Jesus Christ. And so a mind and a conscience driven by the word of God becomes a fountain for right attitudes in our children. So we need to, we, one of the ways that we, we structure our homes is by having the word of God shape it. But secondly, and I think this is so important, is our homes 
need to be a place where the gospel is talked about and explained. One of the most important priorities for you as a parent is to lead your child to the foot of the cross. It is so important that at an early age, you introduce your child to the need to have Jesus Christ rule their lives. Because children, even at one and two and three years old, even though they may not be able to understand the concept of of the virgin birth or the dual nature of Christ or the Trinity or some of these things that even we wrestle with, they still know what it is to have guilt and shame. They still know what it is when they disobey to have that icky feeling inside of them that just doesn't go away with an I'm sorry. They still know what it is to want to do what is right but not be able to do it because of the strength of their flesh. They need to know that Jesus Christ can wash them white as snow and give them the strength to walk with Jesus. I do not know of any verse in the Scripture which speaks of an age of accountability. I do not know of any place in Scripture where it says that it really doesn't matter how kids respond to Jesus until they hit this age. I can't find that anywhere. But I do find a Scripture that tells me John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit in the womb. I do know that as each of my children were developing in the womb, my wife prayed for them constantly. I know of other mothers who who put music on their stomachs so that they can influence their children to be musicians. They read to their children because they've shown that you can even teach your children and, and nurture them that way in the womb. Why not with the gospel? Why not lead them to a responsive heart at a very young age? There's a beautiful book, and I was trying to find it, and I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's a Puritan book about surprising conversions of children, two and three and four years old, who come to understand their great need for Christ and respond in, in, in marvelous ways to Jesus Christ and own Him as their Lord and Savior. So parents... And and doesn't this make sense? We have said, have we not, in the context of this verse, that we are to walk in wisdom. That walking in wisdom is reflected in being filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit is learning to submit to authority. Does it not make sense that you are dealing with a completely different individual when your child has the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior than when they're not. Because you are dealing with a new creation. You're dealing with a a new person in Christ Jesus. So you still have the responsibility to expect obedience from them. You still have the responsibility to train them. But when their heart has been transformed by Jesus Christ, And filled with the Holy Spirit, you're dealing with a different child. So parents, we need to cultivate a Christian home and we need to pray for a young response to the saving message of Christ in our children. Finally, building block four, understand the responsibilities of your children. What does God expect from children? It's good to see a couple children here. 
Um, but as parents, what does, what, 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 and, and from God, what does God expect from children? Pretty simple, obey. Children, obey your parents because this is right. As Colossians puts it, because this pleases God. And that word children is a fascinating one because it's not just one that applies to children that might be in our home. It applies to every single one of us who still has parents that are living. And you notice that, that there's an interplay in the Old Testament. It doesn't say obey your parents. It says honor them. We'll talk about that in a, in a couple minutes. But initially, when children are still in the home, and this is my understanding, as long as children are in the home, no matter what age they might be, they are to be obedient to their parents. And what does it mean to obey parents? It means to hear, it means to heed, it means to listen intently to what they're saying, and then to conform your life to what they are telling you to do or asking you to do. And it is as much an external act as it is an internal attitude. Obedience is not complete if you've just obeyed physically but have not obeyed attitudinally. And a parent's first duty is to teach their children to obey them and then take that and transfer that to obedience to God. In other words, parents... What you are cultivating in your children in a response to you is ultimately a response that you want them to have towards God. As they obey you, then one day they will obey God. Why? Because children are immature. They are. One of the, one of the fascinating passages of Scripture speak, spoken of Jesus as a young boy was, and Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and in man. Children need to be under our authority because they have an intellectual need. They don't know discernment yet. They don't know right from wrong. They don't understand the nuances of evil. They don't understand those sorts of things. They don't know good or bad. Babies will eat anything they can get their hands on. Children will go to bed at all hours of the night if you will let them. They're unaware how much they need sleep, how much they need that routine, how much they need good meals. Kids need to be taught wisdom and discernment. And so obedience is one of the ways in which we teach our kids intellectually what it means to grow into maturity. They have physical needs. Of all of God's creation, children are the most helpless at birth, it seems. They are weak, they are unable to fend for themselves, and as they grow, they gain an increasing ability to care for themselves, and yet they still need parental authority even to guide and direct their physical development. What about their social needs? They don't just grow up saying please and thank you. They don't just grow up knowing social graces. They don't just grow up understanding the dynamics of human relationships. Initially, children are totally self-centered. All they can think about is themselves. All they want to think about is themselves. But as parents, one of the things that we have to cultivate is this great transformation where they go from being self-centered to others-centered, where they start thinking about others rather than themselves. Finally, they also have spiritual needs. They need to be taught spiritual truths because as Paul says, the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God and it does not submit to God's law and it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so parents are given so that our kids might grow in favor with God as well. 
If parents do not take their responsibilities seriously, all growth intellectually, physically, socially, spiritually will be stunted. And so parents, we need to take seriously our responsibility to expect our children to obey us. Why? Why does God expect children to obey? I want you to listen carefully for this next thing because it's going to be something really profound. Why does God expect children to obey? Because it is right. No other explanation. Because it is right. God has established parents to be the authority in the homes, and it is right that children obey their parents. Parents, it is right for you to expect your children to obey you. I have seen it so often as parents make excuses for their children. Oh, isn't she so cute? Or they, they, don't really, they really haven't had a lot of sleep. And so we make all manner of exceptions for our, the disobedience of our children. No, it is right for them to obey you. And as you get older, you know that being tired does not give you a right to speed. You know, having a, having a bad day does not give you a right to steal. You still have to obey even if you don't feel good, even if you've had a bad day. And so we need to teach our children that it is right to obey no matter the circumstances of their day. Sometimes we get all soft and mushy. Oh, I don't want to demand that from them. Of poor little things. Some of, some of you know what I'm talking about. Parents, you need to expect your children to obey because it is right. You know, a disobedient child will reap a world of difficulty if they do not learn to obey. They will struggle with people's comments. They will struggle in school. They will struggle with authority. They will struggle with employers. Parents, a lack of expectation of obedience is not a sign of love. Proverbs says it is a sign of hate. There's two things that uh, kind of um, circled around in our home, and I'm almost done. I've skipped out a lot already, but um, just bear with me. Two things that circled around in our home, and there were phrases that were so helpful to us as parenting. Anything but first-time obedience is disobedience. You need to settle that one in your mind for a moment. Anything but first-time obedience is disobedience. Counting to three is not good parenting. Counting to one, two, three and a half, or two and a half, two and three quarters uh, is not good parents. Your children need to be taught that obedience is to be immediate, that it's to be expected the first time you ask. Children have this ability, and I wish I could remember the story. I'm not going to tell it because I'm going to blow it all up. But children have an, uh, an ability to understand when their parents are really serious. And so, you know, they can say, you can say, clean up your room. And, okay, I'll get to No, clean up your room now. No, and then 15 minutes, clean up your room. And then, then they know when you come down, your eyes are bugging out of your head and your face is all red, that now you're really serious and so they obey. That's not how we should teach our children obedience. We should expect first-time obedience from our kids. One of the, the greatest um, ways that you learn about parenting is camping. 
And I, I think that parents forget that tents are made of canvas and nylon. And you ever go to a provincial campground and you hear all manner of stuff. If you don't go to bed now, we're going home right now. And you think, well, no, they're not going home. It's 12 o'clock at night. They're not going to pull down the tent and take off. But you just lie in bed and it's nice when you're older and your kids are gone. And you just hear the echoes of these parents losing their mind as their kids are, are going crazy. But one of the things that I think you need to put in your mind is anything but first-time obedience is disobedience. And now think about it in the extreme case. If you have taught your child that delayed obedience is okay, what about that situation when they are in imminent danger and they haven't been taught to trust you or to obey you? You're on a hike and there's a snake and you say, Paul, don't move. No, you need them to. And... (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Um, sound like you know what I'm talking about. Um, okay, so anything but first-time obedience is disobedience. The second thing, and I've sort of alluded to this, say what you mean and mean what you say. There are few things more confusing to a child than not knowing if you're really serious about what you say. And if you don't mean it, don't say it. I remember being at a home a number of years ago. Nobody in this church, so you don't have to think, well, who was it? And we were sitting around in the house, and, and one of the, the boys, he was about four or five years old, had spilt something on the carpet, and he was asked to clean it up, and there was a little bit of fuss, and the parents said, if you don't clean that up, you're going to vacuum the whole house. I'm thinking, a four-year-old kid walking around with a vacuum? Like, come on, that's never going to happen. So, so we have to understand that we will reduce tension and frustration. And it will be a lot easier for you if you say what you mean and mean what you say. I read the following uh, this past week uh, along these lines. The damage disobedience causes was well demonstrated to my family on a trip to amusement park years ago that is legendary for us. We were waiting in line for a train ride as the wait lengthened a five or six-year-old child in front of us decided to climb on a fence railing to a position that made it hard for the remaining people in line to pass. His mother reacted quickly, saying, Johnny, come down from there. Johnny didn't even move an eyelash. Were not the damage being done so evident, the litany of correction attempts that followed would have been comical. Johnny, come down from there right now. Johnny, come down. I won't tell you again. Johnny, I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a half. Now, Johnny, I mean it. Johnny, I'm going to tell your father when we get home. Okay, Johnny, just stay there. I'm going to leave you if you don't come down. Johnny, please, please come down. I'll get you an ice cream. If you can recreate that incident in your mind's eyes, think not only of the stone-cold look on Johnny's face, but consider the countenance of the people surrounding that scene. What do their faces reflect? They're all frowning at the child. Responsible parents must dare to look at these faces because they prophesy the future of an uncontrolled child. A child who will not obey a parent's authority only sees the world's frown. Not only is a disobedient child a trouble to the world, but they are a danger to themselves. And so we teach our children to obey because it is right. And I've gone way over time, and I'll just drop this one for you, and it's probably the hardest one, so you can wrestle with it yourself. 
But we teach our children to obey because it is good for them. Because it is good for them. What does Paul say in Ephesians? That it may go well with you. And that you may live long in the land. In other words, the first thing he speaks about is there is a quality of life that comes from learning obedience. That it may go well with them. And the second thing that he's talking about is there is a quantity of life. Not necessarily in length of life, but there's just a fullness of life that comes as we learn to obey our parents. When children obey their parents, they will escape a good deal of sin and danger and avoid things that could threaten or shorten their lives. Obedience is not only right in God's eyes, it's also best for children. And so as we think of this section on children, do remember those building blocks. You may have some of your own, but they're things that I think stand us in good stead. Build your home upon your own personal relationship with God. Build your home on a strong commitment to your husband and wife. Build your home in the atmosphere of the word of God and the gospel. Build your home making very clear what the responsibilities of your children are to obey you because it is right and because it is good for them.